ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದ ಉಪದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಕಾರಣ ತಂ ನಮ್ಯಹಂ ಸ್ವಿಸ್ಟರಿಂಗ್ ದಿ ಅಪರೋಕ್ಷಾನುಭೂತಿ and we had come up to verse number 93 i think we completed 93 the method in advaita vedanta is first the teaching is given this is called shravana literally hearing so you listen to the teachings and then the next stage is manana which means reflection using your powers of reason to question to clarify doubts to gain clarity and conviction so what what i have heard now i get conviction and clarity and then finally nididhyasana which is assimilation of what i am convinced about now to make it into a living truth through a process of meditation now the teaching has been given over the past several months we studied this and we discussed it we reasoned and argued back and forth and by now there should be a clarity about what is being talked about so what remains is the third step that's the last part of this book which is meditation vedantic meditation how do i assimilate this truth what are the techniques what are the methods by which i can make this truth this non dual truth a reality a living reality but before that before going to the third uh, uh, the vedantic meditation the last part of this book we have taken a diversion Shankaracharya has raised the author has raised uh, an issue of philosophical importance uh, an issue important in advaita vedanta philosophy the issue is this the general idea in indian religion about the law of karma that uh, there is cause and effect so for example our present lives this body and the lives that we are leading these are the effects of our past karma what we have done in past lives it gives results now in this form now this karma what we have done in many lives this karma is divided into three types one is um, called sanchita is accumulated life after life we keep doing things and the results get accumulated the second kind is um, prarabdha out of that accumulated karma each of us which which we have a part of it becomes active and produces a body a life so for example in this life each of us we have prarabdha karma which is why we have this life this particular life and the third one is what one might call agami karma which is literally it means karma to come that means the karma that we accumulate by in the process of leading this life we generate fresh karma 
So that is which will which will be added on to the stock of our karma and which will give rise to effects good and bad, pleasant and unpleasant in the future. Now, Vedanta says the way that one gets liberation. Remember, liberation is defined, uh, at least the preliminary understanding of liberation, moksha in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, all of these Indian religions is uh, freedom from the cycle of births and deaths. So we will, we will not be further trapped in another body. We will remain as our infinite in our infinite nature as Brahman. That is freedom. That is moksha. Now, how does this Vedantic knowledge accomplish such a freedom? How can knowledge remove uh, uh, births and deaths? The understanding is this: that knowledge destroys karma. All the accumulated karma that the phrase they use is burnt up is destroyed by the knowledge that you are Brahman. That leads to the interesting question is, question then, if all karma is burnt up, is destroyed by knowledge, then how is it that an enlightened person continues to live? You see the connection. If this body is produced by karma, and if all karma is destroyed by knowledge, such that I will not have any more future births, future bodies, in that case, how is this particular body also continuing? Because the karma which produced this body, the, the prarabdha karma, that should have also been destroyed by knowledge. For this, Vedantic philosophy has an answer, which is the bone of contention here. Uh, the, uh, Vedanta says that all the karmas are destroyed, but prarabdha karma continues. The examples they give is like um, some, a, a bowman shooting arrows. If he decides to stop shooting, he can set aside all the arrows in his quiver. He can even set down the arrow which he had put on his bow to shoot. He can put it down. But the arrow which he has released, that he cannot recall. So the example is like the arrow which is already in flight. Like the potter's wheel. Even if the potter stops turning the wheel, walks away, it will still rotate. Or a more modern example might be a fan. Even if you switch off the fan, it will stop rotating but it will still go on for one or two revolutions before it stops. Similarly, though we are free of karma upon enlightenment, but prarabdha karma has its, what one might call an inertia of motion. So it will continue for just a while, as long as this particular body lasts. And that has some benefits of uh, this kind of, um, you might call philosophical, um, you know, bookkeeping adjustments. Um, the benefit is this, it explains the status of Jivan Mukta, uh, of an enlightened person living in this world. How can a person continue living in this world uh, after uh, getting enlightenment? So, after getting enlightenment, the person continues to live because uh, of this prarabdha karma continuing. That is the explanation. Not only that, otherwise what would happen is an enlightened person would immediately die. Mm. So enlightenment would mean death of the body. And that's not a very appealing prospect. Not only that, it would mean that those who are living and teaching, they are not enlightened. You would get that <laughs> unwanted implication that all the gurus who are teaching are unenlightened people. 
So yes, enlightened persons do exist in this world and they can continue as Jivan Mukta literally means free while living. And uh, so this acceptance of the continuance of Prarabdha Karma has these philosophical benefits. But Shankaracharya disputes this. We have, we have seen, he says, no, this is just a preliminary understanding. A deeper understanding is all karmas are indeed destroyed by the uh, arising of knowledge, by the dawn of knowledge that you are Brahman. Um, how does he go about proving that? Well, two arguments which we saw earlier. One was, see, what is the point of this Prarabdha Karma business? Prarabdha Karma generates this particular body and so is used as an explanatory device for this body. But what is enlightenment? You realize that you are not a body. You realize that you are Brahman. And indeed, you realize Jagat Mithya, the world is an appearance. And the body also also included in that. In, in, that, in that world. So there is no question of a real body, of, of the enlightened person being a body. No question of that. The enlightened person, you are Brahman. You are that infinite existence, consciousness, bliss. Not a body. So no explanatory mechanism is nece necessary to explain this particular body. Because it's an appearance. It's false. A projection of Maya. So no real Prarabdha Karma is necessary for this. Not only that, you require Prarabdha Karma to explain birth, how one takes birth. So this birth is explained by Prarabdha Karma. But uh, actually, what is enlightenment? You realize not only that there will not be any future births and deaths, but even this particular birth is not, it's not real. You are Brahman, you never were born. You never had any past births. Even this particular birth is not there. Remember the funny story I told you about the Mahatma who said, you know, somebody asked him, is there one life or are there many lives? One birth or many births? And he, his answer was, let alone many births, there isn't even this particular birth. Go and read the Mandukya Upanishad, which we are doing, I think, on Wednesday. So that is enlightenment. Not that I had so many miserable lives and this is a particular, this is my last life, the way it is traditionally explained. Shankaracharya is subverting that. He's saying, that's not really the final word. I had many lives. This is my last life. And after this, I will not be born again. This is how we generally talk about liberation, enlightenment, moksha. Not only in Vedanta, in all the schools of Hinduism, in all the schools of Buddhism and so on and so forth. Shankaracharya says, no, no, no. That's not how it is. Upon enlightenment, you realize you never were born, let alone many future lives, there, there were no past lives and there is not even a f present life and of course no, no future life. You, in another way you can put it, there is always eternal life. Eternal life as one existence consciousness place, not the cycle of births and deaths. Anyhow, now, basically, you know what he is doing, Shankaracharya here. One fundamental thing to understanding Advaita Vedanta is the two tier of truth, two levels of truth. One is called Vyavaharika, transactional, relative truth. And the other one is absolute, Paramarthika, ultimate truth. What's the absolute truth? What, is, what does Advaita Vedanta say finally? That Brahma Satyam, the absolute alone is real. Existence, consciousness, be, uh, bliss, 
alone is real. And what about this world? Including my little life and this body? Jagat Mithya. It's an appearance. It's not a reality in itself. Then what am I? Reality, real or, or an appearance? Well, you can be happy. You are real. Jiva Brahmaiva Napara. The individual being, the one who thinks of himself or herself as this one individual being, is none other than Brahman. This is the absolute truth. What is the relative truth? The relative truth is, here I am, a body-mind, uh, maybe I am a soul in a body-mind, and I have this life, and I had many past lives, and I will have future lives, I am going through all of this. This is the relative truth. It's called Vyavaharika, Vyavaharika Satyam. And there is a world, and I am an individual in the world. The difference between the two, Vyavaharika and Paramarthika, the absolute and the relative, the difference is the difference of knowledge and ignorance. Though we call it two levels of truth, the sad truth is the, there is only one truth. The, the, other, the second level of truth, the, the relative truth, is actually ignorance. Just because it will hurt our sentiments to say all this is ignorance, that's why a concession is given. This is relative truth. That's why Vivekananda says, not from falsity to truth, but from lower truth to higher truth. Uh, a strict Advaitin would say that's still a concession. It's basically moving from error to truth, from ignorance to knowledge. Now that's what he's saying. What Shankaracharya has done here is, that this idea of prarabdha karma, continuing after enlightenment also, is still an explanation from the level of vyavaharika, from the level of the relative truth. The absolute truth is that there is no, um, there is no prarabdha karma. No karma persists after enlightenment. So Shankaracharya is giving an explanation from the absolute standpoint. Right? And what... The, the traditional explanation you find in Vedanta is from the relative standpoint. From the relative standpoint, it's all right. Which we'll see here. Verse number 93, 94. <speaking in Hebrew> Ajnanam Jaiva Vedantai Ajnanam Jaiva Vedantai Tasmin Nashte Kwa Vishwata Tasmin Nashte Kwa Vishwata What is the stuff of this universe? What's it made of? Atoms? Neutrons? Protons? What's this world of planets and stars and quarks and quasars and um, blue whales and bacteria? What's it made of? Oh, you, are, you are good non-dualists. Ju he just said ignorance. Shankaracharya says, not, uh, not um, uh, quarks or superstrings and not matter and energy and time and space. All of those are there, but even they are not fundamental. More fundamental than that is ignorance. How can anything be made of ignorance? Well, it can be. What does ignorance do? Ignorance hides the truth, number one. 
and number two it presents the truth in some other fashion otherwise it hides the rope the fact that it is a rope and it presents the rope as maybe a snake there is no snake that snake is a product of ignorance when a person sees a snake by mistake if i ask the question what was the snake made of will you say cells and uh, tissues and uh, did it did it was it born from uh, an egg no that's that snake which was seen in mistake by mistake that is born of ignorance what ignorance ignorance of the rope the reality the ground of that error so error is always born of ignorance if you can prove that something is an error then the source is always ignorance similarly this world what we take to be the world prapancha prapancha literally means the combination or product of five elements space air and fire and water and earth the old cosmology so all of this actually is not made of five elements or not even the i don't know how many 100 or 30 140 or periodic table how many elements are there whatever no all of those things also are not fundamental beyond that lies an ignorance ignorance of what just as if i say the snake is made of ignorance you will ask ignorance of what ignorance of the reality which is the rope here ignorance of the reality which is satchidananda an absolute existence absolute consciousness absolute bliss which you really are you do not know yourself and therefore you see yourself as this particular person and the world in this way this entire world and this particular person are both none other than your real self satchidananda existence consciousness place so upadanam prapanchasya the material of this universe is a bit like clay is the material of a pot so what is the just as clay is the material of a pot what is the material of this universe agyanam ignorance ignorance of brahman just as ignorance of the rope hides the fact it's a rope and opens you to, to the possibility of mistaking it for a snake ignorance of the fact that you are brahman hides the fact that you are brahman and opens you to the possibility of making a mistake that you are a body mind living in this material universe so that's the claim it's a huge claim agyanam tasmin nashte ko vishvata if ignorance is destroyed then where is the where where is this uh, samsara where vishvata here means worldly literally worldliness not that everything is wiped out the reality stands revealed that it's not really the world we imagine it to be a very good example is this the dream example in a dream forget that you you think you are in a dream it will not work if you think it's a dream then it it doesn't it's not really a dream in a dream you don't know it's a dream actually people are there and you're speaking with people and things are happening you have very vivid dreams there are material objects like chairs and tables and rooms and buildings and stars and planets and there are people and there are good and bad events happening you know pleasant and unpleasant events happening all of that now if somebody asks you what are these things made of you would in a dream you might answer why they are made of 
atoms. They are made of atoms, there's neutrons, protons, electrons and so on. But what would be the truth? What are they made of? They are made of the mind, your, the dreamer's mind, the one who is sleeping on the bed and dreaming. Every bit of it, every, every person there, every chair, table, every brick there, whatever seems to be so solid, is made of nothing but mind. Your mind, the dreamer's mind. It's projected there. It's just the mind. There are no real materials, there are no physical materials involved. Imagine, it's imagination. So powerful. Like a Technicolor movie, it presents um, in, in all its variety. Now, that's a dream. In this case, in that case, what is it? The dreamer's mind appearing as a dream world. And projecting the dreamer himself or herself as a character in that world. In this case, in, in the case of this world, waking world, Advaita claims it's not our own mind which is projecting it. Rather, it is that pure consciousness, existence consciousness bliss, which through the power of Maya is projecting this world. At one level, if you investigate within this world, if you investigate, sure, you will find protons and neutrons and electrons and um, atoms and so on and so forth. Of course, you will find that. In your dream, if you drill down and try to investigate, somebody tells you all oh, this is made of mind. If you try to dig into the road you are standing on, will you find mind? No, you will uh, you'll just find uh, sand and soil and what not. In your dream. Similarly, here, if you investigate at the material level, you'll find material. But the reality is that it is an appearance in consciousness. So just like clay, if that clay is destroyed, will the pot exist? No. If the material out of which something is made is destroyed, that item will not exist. If ignorance is destroyed, will the world exist? No. Because if the world is made of ignorance, then ignorance is destroyed, Brahman stands revealed. In that case, the world has no existence anymore. Just like the ignorance of the rope caused me to think it's a snake. If that ignorance is removed, if I, if I see the rope as a rope, Ignorance is gone. What will happen to the snake? It will disappear. It will be falsified. You know, in all cases, it need not disappear. For example, a mirage. You see water there in the desert. There's no water. And, and when you go there and you investigate, you see just sand, hot sand. And the air, which is shimmering like water in a distance. Now when you walk away, look back, what will you see? You'll still see something that looks like water, but you know it's not water. What has happened to that water? Earlier you thought it was real water, now you know it's not really there. It's falsified. In Sanskrit there's a term badhita in Vedanta. Badhita means falsified. Actually the word that is used in philosophy is sublated. I know it's not a common word we use in English. Sublated. S-U-B-L-A-T-E-D. L-A-T-E-D. Sublated. Sublated means Something that you may continue to experience, but you know is not really there. So the blue color in the sky, yes. So I mean, if you are an infinite source of knowledge, if you are, therefore knowledge is never absent. And ignorance is an incomplete knowledge. Mm -hmm. 
ignorant then overpower what is always active? Right. The question was that if we are infinite knowledge and always there, if knowledge is always there, how can ignorance overcome knowledge? All right. Now let's investigate. Do you get the question? Here it's a problem of semantics. Remember, look, the word I'm using always is, when I say Satchidananda, I'm not saying you are infinite knowledge. What did I use? Infinite? Consciousness? Infinite existence? Infinite consciousness? Infinite bliss. I'm making a distinction between consciousness and knowledge. What is knowledge? I suppose I don't know the language German. Alright? So I'm ignorant of the, of the language German. Then I go to classes and I learn German. Now I have knowledge of German. Are you with me so far? So first I was ignorant of German. And I was aware that I'm ignorant of German. So I need to pick up German. And I go to German classes and I pick up some Deutsch. German. And now I say I have knowledge of German. Now let me ask you a question. When I was ignorant of German, was I conscious? Mm -hmm. yes. And when I know German, am I conscious? Mm -hmm. So consciousness and knowledge are not the same thing? Consciousness for that word, the word you would use is awareness, sentience, consciousness. Knowledge is in the mind. Right? Knowledge is in the mind. When you use the mind to pick up information, facts, understanding, that's knowledge. Are you with me? Certainly subject-object. But are you, in, in, in uh, Vedanta, the distinction is made in this way. Swarupa Jnana and Vritti Jnana. The same problem is there in, in Sanskrit. Because the word Jnana means both awareness and knowledge. So the same question can come up. If we are already Jnana, Jnana means Consciousness, it means knowledge also. So, if you are already Jnana, why do you keep speaking of Ajnana? Ignorance, ignorance, ignorance. Sun is shining. How can it be dark? That's the question basically. So here you make a distinction between two types of Jnana. One is called Swarupa Jnana. Your nature. Swarupa means your very nature, your, your essential nature. Which is pure consciousness. The second type of Jnana is Vritti Jnana. Vritti means a modification of the mind. So, that pure consciousness acting with the mind generates knowledge of the world. Consciousness plus mind with sense organs enables me to see the, <coughs> enables me to see the book. What is, what is seeing the book? Here is the book. Here are my sense organs. And there is the mind. Beyond that is the consciousness. This consciousness shining through the mind, through the sense organs, generates a vritti, a movement in the mind about this book. And I get the knowledge, I am seeing a book. This is called vritti jnana. This is normally what we call knowledge. Knowledge of German or of English, knowledge of computers or music or art, knowledge of the latest gossip. All of that is vritti, is a movement in the mind. Are you with me? Yes. 
Consciousness is, an, is like an unchanged light beyond this, this mind. Without that light, mind itself cannot function. What Vedanta claims is not that you are a lot of knowledge. It's not saying that you are uh, like an encyclopedia or a hard disk full of lots of knowledge. That you have you know, terabytes of knowledge. That's not what Vedanta claims. Vedanta is claiming you are consciousness. Knowledge is in the mind and enabled by consciousness. Without consciousness you would not have the conscious experience of knowing something. Or indeed the conscious experience of being ignorant of something. That's also a conscious experience. I do not know. Right? So keep this. This is an important distinction. I'm glad you raised this question. Keep this distinction in mind. Between Swarupa Jnana and Vritti Jnana. The terms in Sanskrit are very precise. Swarupa Jnana means consciousness as such in its own nature. And Vritti Jnana means consciousness plus mind which undergoes change. Consciousness does not change. Swarupa Jnana is unchanging. Vritti Jnana is constantly changing. As you pick up more knowledge, you have more Vritti Jnana. Now, it has an important bearing. What is Vedanta? What is Vedanta? Is it Swarupa Jnana or Vritti Jnana? It is Vritti Jnana. About what? Swarupa Jnana. It is a knowledge which we generate in the mind. Yeah, of course it's knowledge. You're attending a class. Here is a text. You're reading a book. Trying to understand something. Reason it out. Meditate. But about what? Not about the world. Not about the body. Not even about the mind. It's about that pure consciousness beyond the mind. So the mind is trying to use this to understand something that is essentially, which, is, which precedes the mind. That's why it's so difficult. It's like twisting it around. All other knowledge, except this one, all other knowledge is about objects. This is about the pure subject. Is there ignorance in Swarupa Jnana? No, no. The ignorance is about the uh, the, um, uh, the ignorance is about our real nature as pure consciousness, and that ignorance is in the mind, and knowledge will also come in the mind and remove the ignorance in the mind. Consciousness itself is untouched. It illumines the ignorance in the mind. It illumines the knowledge in the mind also. Knowledge will come and remove the ignorance in the mind. Sri Ramakrishna put it very very simply in his. Uh, rather homely way he put it in this way that uh, a thorn has gone into your flesh you take another thorn and pick out that, that thorn and then the second thorn do you leave it in your flesh? no, you throw both thorns away so he says take the thorn of knowledge pick out the thorn of ignorance and throw both away to us it might seem strange why would you throw knowledge away? we are still thinking in terms of the mind because this knowledge reveals to you that you are beyond the mind, you are pure consciousness, after which you have no need of knowledge in the mind. Think about it. That's a whole topic. In fact, in one of the issues in, in um, say, a text like Vedanta Sara, towards the end of that text, a question is raised. That after enlightenment, that does the knowledge of Brahman persist or not? We might say, what a strange question. Obviously it does. Enlightenment means a person who is enlightened, who has knowledge. I am Brahman. 
But that creates a problem. Then there are two things. There's Brahman and the knowledge of Brahman. Then there's that duality. If you say, no, the knowledge of Brahman goes away, then you're ignorant. So are you trapped, checkmated? And that's an assignment for you to, to think about. Yeah. In fact, uh, in Vedanta, good, a nice example is used. Cloud comes and covers the sun. But you might ask, just like you asked, how can the vast sun, which is much bigger than the earth, how can it be covered by a patch of cloud? The fact is the cloud does not cover the sun. The cloud just obstructs my vision. This hand, it does not cover the whole room. It does not cover all of you. It just covers my eyes. Right? But the result is I cannot see the whole room. I cannot see all of you right now. So in the same way, the patch of cloud just covers, obstructs my vision and the vast sun is rendered invisible to me. Similarly, ignorance comes in the mind and makes you think that you are not Brahman. It doesn't cover Brahman. Not only that, even the cloud which obscures the sun for us, obscures our vision of the sun, that cloud is revealed by sunlight. It's the sun which reveals the cloud. Even the fact that I'm ignorant of, about my true nature is revealed by what? My true nature. It, that I do not know I am Satchidananda. I'm just reading about it. I really don't know it. I don't feel it. I don't understand it. This whole I don't know it, I don't feel it, I don't understand it is also shining in the light of Brahman. A, a very interesting question is raised at this point. Is consciousness enough to remove ignorance? Or is knowledge required to remove ignorance? Knowledge is required to ig remove ignorance. Consciousness will just reveal ignorance. If knowledge comes and removes ignorance, consciousness will reveal knowledge. Consciousness is the constant light. Do you see where, where we are going with this? Yeah, it, it is, it's there. Um, it's like... Dry glass is there, a dry grass, dry grass. Now the sunlight, now the beautiful example is the sunlight shining upon a field. It enables the grass to grow and it even dries up the grass. But it will not burn the grass. But if you take a magnifying glass and focus the sun's rays through that magnifying glass on a blade of gra dry grass, it will start smoking and burning. So sunlight by itself does not destroy the grass. It in fact enables the grass to grow actually. But sunlight focused through the magnifying glass of knowledge, I might say, I'm mixing metaphors here, it, it, it can burn up that grass. Similarly, pure consciousness, Satchidananda, will not by itself destroy ignorance. If it did, then we would all be enlightened. If we are, you are Satchidananda. I am Satchidananda. I am Satchidananda and yet I have ignorance. If I was Satchidananda and Satchidananda, pure consciousness is enough to destroy ignorance, would have destroyed ignorance by now. But it does not. What destroys ignorance is knowledge. You must take the lens of this book, magnifying glass of this book, and focus consciousness through that, it will, it will burn up ignorance. Well, yes. When the British and the minds seem serious, <coughs> the British, Mm. Yes. Isn't the all, all right, here is another good question. 
when the vrittis in the mind sees isn't the all pervading consciousness revealed even without any particular knowledge another vritti about it the answer is no in in sleep for example all the vritti sees in a very calm mind calm your mind down completely quiet are you enlightened no you just have a quiet mind you're sitting quietly the answer to that is actually pure consciousness is ever revealed it's all the time revealed we just don't note it we need a pointer that knowledge this book is just a pointer that pointer shows it to us otherwise it's ever revealed and you are right in a calm mind it's it's revealed better what you are asking is from the yoga philosophy patanjali yoga would claim that chitta vritti nirodha when the mind is absolutely calmed in samadhi the pure consciousness that you are pure consciousness this nature is revealed to you that's the claim of patanjali yoga to that we would say that um, that you are pure consciousness the fact is always there it's not see the two philosophies advaita vedanta and yoga philosophy they approach the problem in two different ways they constitute the problem in two ways yoga philosophy says the problem is the the disturbance of the mind the mind is restless that's why you are bound make the mind calm you will be free the truth will be revealed to you problem restlessness solution concentration calmness of the mind focus basically they are saying we are all suffering from add attention deficit disorder Advaita Vedanta says no 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 that's not the problem. Advaita Vedanta defines the problem as ignorance. It's not just that the restlessness of the mind is the problem. You haven't you don't know what you are. So you need to know what you are. The problem is ignorance comes from the desire that one. That's where the vritti comes from. So slowly go slowly. Ignorance? Yeah, desire. No, complete the sentence. Avidya kama karma. Yes. From ignorance desires are born from desires karma is born and that leads to that traps us so ignorance is not born from desires desires are born from ignorance all right we'll keep it at that mull it over these are all deep issues and they bear thinking about no i'm not saying that uh, the yoga approach is wrong it's, i'm saying it's a different approach this is a different approach and you know what my personal feeling is if you ask me Do you suffer from distraction of mind restlessness of mind? Yes. Then yoga is for you. Yes. It will be useful for me. Do you suffer from ignorance of your true nature? Yes. Then Vedanta is for you. It it will be use- so I think with all of them will be useful for us. Mm-hmm. Now let's go to verse number 95. This very hold on to this idea. the problem is a product of ignorance if ignorance goes the problem goes now is going to give an example 95 yatha rajjum parityajya yatha rajjum parityajya sarpam grinhati vaibhramat sarpam grinhati vaibhramat tadvat satyam avigyaya tadvat satyam avigyaya jagat pashyati moodhadi 
Jagat Pashyati Mudhadi. Nice little verse. It says, as by not knowing the rope as a rope, we make a mistake about it and think it's a snake. In the same way, not knowing Brahman as Brahman, we make a mistake about it and think of it as world. Samsara, body and mind. Remember one thing though, after enlightenment, will you still see the world? Yes, yes. don't make that mistake, it will all disappear in a burst of light. Not go up in smoke, no. You'll still see this. Will you still see yourself as a body? Yes. And a mind? Yes. All of that will continue as before. But with the big difference, you know that the background consciousness, existence consciousness places there. It's like being in a dream and knowing that it's a dream. Then you realize every bit of what you see, all these people, all these events, whatever is going on now, is nothing but the pure consciousness which you are. You alone are all of this. Consciousness and its object are not different. More precisely, the object of consciousness is not different from consciousness. What is the object of consciousness? This. This world. Not only this world, this body. Not only this body, look inside. Thoughts, ideas, my personality, even this little person that I am. That's also an object of consciousness. All of this is not different from the pure consciousness that I am. They are all projections, all appearances in this consciousness. So this world and you are one reality. The world that you live in, it's not different from you. It's you also. It's, it's you. In that sense, all beings are one with you. Everybody in this world. Mm. Not only I and my brother are one in a rhetorical sense. I and my brother are literally one according to Advaita Vedanta. Vivekananda put it this way. This is a famous song. Nearer my God to thee. So Vivekananda said the Vedantist would say nearer my God to me. <laughs> Just as, so tadvat satyam avigya, just as not knowing a rope makes you see a snake by mistake. Two things are involved here. Ignorance of rope, error about rope. Ignorance of rope hides rope, error about rope projects snake. Ignorance of Brahman and error about Brahman. Ignorance of Brahman hides the fact that I am Brahman. And error projects this, error projects this entire universe and this life. After enlightenment, all this will go on as such, but you will realize all of it is not apart from Brahman, apart from you, your reality. You are one, the universe is one with you. I was going to say you are one with the universe, but technically in Vedanta, the universe is one with you. 96. What happens when you, when you, when you get knowledge? 95 is about knowledge. 95 is about ignorance. 96 is about knowledge. 96 says, Rajurupe parigyate, Rajurupe parigyate, Sarpakandam natishtati, Sarpakandam natishtati, Adhishthane tata tata gyate, Adhishthane tata gyate, Prapancha shunyatam gataha, 
When you know the rope as a rope, Rajurupe Parigyati, when you realize that it is a rope, uh, the snake appearance no longer persists. The snake no longer is real for you. In the case of a snake, it disappears, literally disappears. In the case of the world, it will not disappear. It will continue, but it won't be real for you anymore. Adishthani Tathagyati When you realize the ground of this illusion, what is the ground of this illusion? Brahman. What is the ground of the snake illusion? Rope. What is the ground of this world illusion? Brahman. When you realize that, that Brahman, then prapancha shunyatam gata. The world, the, this world disappears into the void. That's why you have to take it very carefully. And you'll get the feeling that also oh, there'll be a void left. <laughs> my car and my insurance and my house and my mortgage and my debts and credit card debt and everything will disappear into the void. No, no, no. They will still continue as they are. But you realize a greater reality behind them, which you, you yourself are. They are all appearances in you. In one sense, they have no substantiality. In another sense, their substantiality is you. Adishthane tathagyate. When the ground of that error. So, every error has to have a truth. You can't have only error. Everything is false, finished. No. If everything is false, there must be a truth to it. If there is false currency, it's measured against a real currency that you say it's a, uh, a, a false currency. You know, uh, what do you call them? The, the, the counterfeit. So counterfeit, even the concept of a counterfeit means that there must be some real currency. Otherwise, why are you calling it counterfeit? So if the world is counterfeit, if the world, it's an appearance, then there must be a reality. And Vedanta says there is a reality. And this reality is an immortal spirit, existence, consciousness, bliss. And this reality is you. The real you. Why did, does he suddenly bring up, bring up all this? How is it germane to our um, discussion about prarabdha karma? Well, the, the answer is this. The deeper analysis which he's bringing forth is, all this discussion about prarabdha karma is at the level of ignorance, is at the snake level. When you go from the snake level to the rope level, from ignorance to knowledge, how do you go from the snake to the rope? Not by calling a snake catcher, by knowing that it's a rope. When you move from the world level to Brahman level, from body-mind to pure consciousness, when you do that, then you see the prarabdha karma question is, remains at the snake level, at the body-mind level, at the level of the world. At the level of truth, I am Brahman, no question of prarabdha there. So that's coming in verse number 97. Dehasyapi prapanchatvat Dehasyapi prapanchatvat Prarabdhavasthitikutaha Prarabdhavasthitikutaha Ajnani janabodhartham Ajnani janabodhartham Prarabdham vakti vaishrutihi Prarabdham vakti vaishrutihi Body is also included in this world, is it not so? 
if you dismiss the world appearance as an illusion, you must dis dismiss everything included in it. When I say I am real, the world is an illusion, never make the mistake of thinking that I means this body mind. Then you are in for a terrible mistake. It will never work. This body mind is a part of this world appearance. Why it is so difficult is it's very difficult for us to step back from this body and mind because we are not aware of any, of any existence beyond this body and mind. We think this is our existence. The reality is right here. If, we, if I ask the desk, step back from the desk awareness to, it doesn't know, no desk awareness, but anyway, <laughs> to wood awareness. And if it says, I'm a desk, what wood? It's made of wood. It's through and through wood only. In fact, from a Vedantic perspective, there's no desk. It's wood. But it doesn't know that. It thinks it's a desk. In the same way we think we are body-mind. And we do not. So first we have to actually separate in our understanding. In our understanding, take a step back from body-mind into, into pure awareness. When we, when we begin to see what is meant by pure awareness, what is this word? Pure awareness. What is this? When you begin to see that, then the rest of it becomes easy. After that, that it becomes easy. So the body-mind, dehasyapi, this body-mind is included in the world. If you dismiss the world as false, body-mind is also dismissed as false. If this body, this the body is also dismissed as false, then the prarabdha karma which produced this body, true or false? False. False. Um, the whole question of a prarabdha comes because we think this body is there and an enlightened person continues to be in the body. Wrong. The enlightened person realizes he or she has always been Brahman, is Brahman, will always be Brahman. What happened? Nothing happened. Whatsoever. It's perfectly alright. But the body appearance will continue. The world appearance will continue. For the enlightened person, it's joy. It's a mart of merriment, Sri Ramakrishna used to say. At the beginning of spiritual life, Sri Ramakrishna says, the people say it's a house of deceit. This world is, uh, it's false, it's a house of deceit, and this is, uh, it's maya. But after enlightenment, you realize all of it is joy and love. Every bit of it. So the body, Dehasyapi Prapanchatva, the body very much within this world appearance, and hence, it's not real. If it is not real, what, what is the status of prarabdha? Prarabdhasya avastiti kutaha. What is the st status of prarabdha? It is also false. Then that, yes, I'll, come, uh, I'll just finish the translation and come to your question. Hold on to the question. Then why, do, why does Vedanta speak about prarabdha karma continuing for a jivan mukta? For an enlightened person, prarabdha karma continues. Vedanta teaches that. In fact, one, the Upanishads also support it. One of the Upanishads, in Chandogya Upanishad says that the enlightened person continues in this body and so the whole theory of Prarabdha Karma has come up. Why do they do that then? Why didn't they say it straight away? The second line says, Agyani Jana Bodhartham To answer the questions of the ignorant, those who are not yet enlightened, they will ask a question. After enlightenment, all karmas are destroyed. You said, Vedanta said, how is my teacher, Shankaracharya or Vivekananda or Ramana Maharshi and others, how do they continue in the body after enlightenment? 
Then the answer is given. There is prarabdha karma. It's something to satisfy the question because the question itself is wrong. What is the why? Why is it wrong? Because the unenlightened person still identifies Vivekananda with the Vivekananda body, Ramana Maharshi with the Ramana Maharshi, Maharshi body. For for the unenlightened person, that body is the reality. We'd say, oh, he's a, this person is a sage. If you ask the sage, are you a sage? He'll say, no, not really. Then what are you? I'm Brahman. That story I told you about, uh, an enlightened person being say, somebody said, you are a knower of Brahman. You're an enlightened person. You're a knower of Brahman. And he said, you're insulting me. How is it an insult to be a knower of Brahman? And he said, I am Brahman. I'm not a knower of Brahman. Any truly enlightened person would say that. Even knower of Brahman, connected with that question, is identifying with the mind, vritti. Is pure consciousness, is Brahman a knower of Brahman? No. Only in association with body-mind can you be said to be knowledgeable or ignorant. So it's from the point of view of the ignorant that this answer is given, prarabdha karma. So at the end, Shankaracharya, after knocking this down thoroughly, he gives some concession. He says, yes, there's a point to this theory, why this theory was promulgated. All right, question. Yes. The cycle. The question was: the cycle of births and deaths and prarabdha karma. Do they apply to the subtle body? They apply to the jiva. The jiva. What is the jiva? It is Brahman alone, but under the influence of ignorance, it is associated with the subtle body, sukshma sharira, mind, intellect, samskaras, you know, chitta. Um, ego and this is the one which inhabits this body and says Sarva Priyananda it inhabited some other body earlier and said something else uh, if it does not get liberation it will inhabit some other body and say something else so this is the idea and this it it is propelled by the fuel of karma so this is at the level of Vyavaharika Jagat but what Vedanta wants to say is you never had a real physical body. You never had a real subtle body also. You have no body. You are, your, your bodiless state is always there. That's what you will realize when you become enlightened. So you can see two perspectives here. One perspective from the relative point of view. Vyavaharika point of view. Where we are, we are jivas. We are trying to get enlightenment. We have body and mind. We have this life. We are struggling with this life. And we're trying to get enlightenment through Vedanta and meditation and bhakti and so on and so forth. And finally we will get liberation. We, we had so many births and deaths earlier, so much suffering earlier in many bodies. And now we will not be, we will remain in our true nature as infinite Brahman. So this is all from, uh, this is Advaita viewed from Vyavaharika, from the relative point of view. But if you see the core teaching of Advaita, Brahma Satyam, Brahman alone is real. When? Only after enlightenment or even before enlightenment? Even before enlightenment. Only for Vivekananda or for you and me also. For all of us. Now? Now also. Then what happens to all those life, births and deaths? They are all part of the story. Yes. Complicated? 
In one sense, yes. But if you hold on to these things, you know, there are little keys for unlocking Advaita. Like that thing, difference between Swarupa Jnana and Vritti Jnana. This difference between knowledge and ignorance. The difference between Paramarthika and Vyavaharika, between the absolute standpoint and the relative standpoint. If you just keep these in mind and apply it to the questions, you'll immediately see the questions. You will not get an answer to the questions. The question, the problem will not be solved but dissolved. <laughs> dissolved as I often say, yes. The problems will be dissolved. Should I go ahead? This topic was going to be finished in two verses, but the next two verses are important. So we should keep, yes. All right. There's a concept of what he said, Krama Mukti, liberation in sequence, in stages. Krama means sequence or stages. As against what? As against what? Sadhyo Mukti in Sanskrit. Sadhyo means direct liberation. What is direct liberation? You realize you are Brahman, you are liberated. How do you do that? Come to class, Aparokshanabhuti class. The whole project here, there's only one thing going on here. Movement from ignorance to knowledge. The whole point here is to get it. If you get it, it's done for you. You might say that, but aren't you saying that whether I know it or not, I am Brahman and hence ever liberated? You see? Are we ever liberated if you ask me? If you ask at this book, are we liberated now also? Yes, in one sense. And no in another sense. No in another sense, why? Because you don't seem to think so. If we are ever liberated, why even attempt all of this? The answer would be, don't attempt it. Go on suffering. Uh, why are we at all doing this? We are doing this because we are suffering. We want a way out of suffering. The whole project of the Buddha, there is suffering and there is a way out. So we are looking for a way out. And Advaita Vedanta says, your suffering is due to the ignorance of what you really are. And ignorance requires knowledge to remove it. And here is this knowledge. So it's a very simple approach. That's direct liberation. Get the knowledge, directly liberated. But here is another question of stage by stage liberation. Sequential liberation. What is that? That's also there in Vedanta. It's a lower concept. Suppose I cannot get... Best option is to get direct liberation. Then you become an enlightened person, free while living. That's the goal of life uh, in Vedantic terms. You realize you are Brahman, finished. But I can't do that. Then one goes into conventional religion. What is the conventional religion pa part of Vedanta? It is basically traditional Hinduism. You meditate, you are devoted to God, and you do a lot of good works, accumulate a lot of good karma. Basically, you are a very moral, religious person. Then what happens? After death, after the death of the body, instead of being born in lower births, one goes to a very spiritual place, uh, the highest heaven. They call it Brahmaloka. We have other words for it. Vaikuntha. 
Devi Loka, depending on, on how you worship God. So the Christian heaven would be a place like that. Or the Muslim heaven would be a place like that. It's a spiritual place. And that's also from a devotional point of view. There also you attain liberation. Because you don't come back into this cycle of births and deaths. So that's 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 where they, they claim that is liberation. It's true. It's a kind of liberation also. Where you re remain ever in the presence of God. Who is Brahman with, with Maya. And from there you may attain this Advaitic liberation also. There one may get knowledge. And attain uh, Advaitic liberation. In fact... The theory goes this way, that uh, if you are a very, very, truly, very devoted and, and spiritual and religious person and yet you have not got the knowledge, you still are not liberated in that sense, you would still go and live in the companionship of God. How long? As long as this universe lasts. At, as long as this particular universe lasts. And it would be a magnificent existence. You would be in ecstasy for millions of years. Till this universe is dissolved and your individual existence is erased and you, you realize that you are one with Brahman. At the point of dissolution of this particular universe, all those people who are in this highest heaven, who are spiritual folk, who, are, who have not attained uh, direct liberation, they will attain that liberation at that point. You say, that sounds nice, but then it's even nicer if you attain it right now. Why wait for several billion years? I'm not knocking that. I'm not um, disparaging it. There is, a, there is an advantage to that. Especially a devotee would, might want that path. Yes, to, to, to taste the sugar and not to become the sugar. Uh, Advaita will say you will finally get it. But then why not enjoy the journey? Take the scenic route. Hmm? Enjoy the scenery. So uh, you live in the company of God. Maybe you get to come once in a while with, with God as an incarnation and you can come as a great saint and do great good to the world and repeat that over the period of... Anyway, now I'm going into <laughs> imagination. So that is Krama Mukti, stage by stage. And finally you attain Mukti there also. And that's also beautiful. Uh, I'll come to you. There was a question there. All right. Did you get the question? It's a good question. If you scientifically investigate this world, or even through common sense, just take a look around. Look at the infinite variety and depth and sophistication of this world. Could You know what he's asking? Could it be true that I am imagining all of this? You see, let me refine that question a little further. What's behind that question? This mind that I have, it's so small, so limited. Could it project a universe of such 
startling complexity where sophisticated mathematics is required to understand its basic structure where the most powerful instruments like your CERN and all, they are still uncovering incredibly uh, tiny particles and, you know, mind-boggling complexity and detail beyond capacity of this, clearly beyond the capacity of this mind or all our human minds put together. This is the question, right? Mm -hmm. This is actually what's behind the question. It's beyond the capacity of my mind to imagine this. So how can I think that this is a dream of my mind? I can imagine that my dreams, my dreams can be projected by my mind. The complexity levels are matched there. But here, it's not like that. Because, see, what we are doing here is making a category mistake. Vedanta is not saying that this universe is, is a dream, is a projection of this mind. The dream, your dream is a projection of your mind, the waker's mind. When the waker goes to sleep, the waker's mind produces a dream word. That's correct. What Vedanta is saying is this world, including you and your mind also, is a projection of pure consciousness. Pure consciousness is not like the mind. Right now, for example, this mind itself, Follow this carefully. This mind which we have right now, this also is a projection of pure consciousness. And look at the, com the complexity of this particular mind. I'm not saying you, the mind, you, the person, the little person here is imagining a universe. No. This is what distinguishes Vedanta in philosophical terms from uh, idealism of the Berkeleyan variety. Bishop Berkeley, uh, the subjective idealist. The world exists in my mind. Vedanta says, not in your particular mind. Not even in any other particular person's mind. Rather, pure consciousness through Maya projects this universe. In every bit of every... It's, uh, Vedanta never contradicts science. So every bit of complexity admitted by science is admitted there. Every bit of it is admitted. All the complexity, all the theories of science, whatever, what, it, it can never be against logic, again against empirical investigation. But what we are saying underneath all of that uh, is this pure being, existence, consciousness, bliss. Let me give you, an, uh, this, this is the basic position of Advaita. Let me give you another more personal kind of example. All that complexity is complexity to what? It's complexity to the mind. It's a mind trying to grapple with more finer and finer and more and more complex structures being revealed by our science. Right? Now, the consciousness we are speaking about transcends the mind. It shines upon the, the ignorance of the mind it shines upon the mind discovering complexity. It shines upon the mind being surprised and the mind being boggled by that complexity. All of that is revealed by consciousness. What I'm trying to say is, in Advaita Vedanta, it just tells you a simple fact that this complexity is also revealed to you in your consciousness. Why we, we are struggling with this is, 
we have taken it axiomatically grounded that there is an external world enormously complex existing in uh, quite independently of my consciousness and my consciousness comes into the game and tries to understand that conscious uh, that complexity that's our world view we have taken it axiomatically but vedanta says it's not true to your experience if you look at your experience everything is revealed to your consciousness this complexity itself is being understood by what by the by the consciousness of the scientist all this complexity this entire universe it appears in your consciousness you cannot even we have no way of speaking of a universe apart from our consciousness i'm talking about our experience because we are trained in the objective way of thinking we tend to start with the objective universe that there is a universe and here i come a person into this universe wandering into an already existing physical universe but our experience doesn't reveal that our experience reveals a universe in our experience i i often give this example two things are separate when i can show them to you separately so this book is separate and the clock is separate yeah i know we have gone over time so i'm looking at the clock but this book is a separate entity and the clock is a separate entity i can show you the book separately apart from the clock i can show you the clock separately apart from the book we can experience the book apart from the clock we can experience the clock apart from the book now my question is can you experience this enormously complicated universe apart from your consciousness no no a philosopher will immediately identify at, at this as a tautological statement because the word the trick is the word experience itself includes consciousness but you, the fact is that you cannot so by that logic how can you talk of a, about a universe existing apart from your consciousness in your experience whatever you have experienced if it had been a very simple universe you would have experienced it in in consciousness if it is this enormously complex universe you are experiencing it's still in your consciousness and vedanta says this is a very important fact in fact i think it's kant in western philosophy i think it's probably kant who called it the standing scandal of philosophy that we have no logical grounds for proving a universe apart from our experience it's a hidden scandal in philosophy idealism has gone out of fashion realism is in fashion it's a materialistic reductive universe that's the mainstream understanding whatever you talk about you have to reduce it especially we have got now what is called a neuromadness neuromadness is reduce everything to neuroscience poetry how do you appreciate poetry there is actually a neuroscience of poetry now <clears throat> a neuroscience of art and because neuroscience does reveal interesting things about how you but to reduce everything to neuroscience but my point here is that uh, all of this cannot be appreciated apart from consciousness it's not that we are there is a theater a movie theater called life and we bring our consciousness into it and watch the movie of life which exists apart from our consciousness rather i'm saying 
that consciousness is the theater in which all this is playing. Okay, Bill, last question. Is consciousness physical? Vedanta would say the physical is consciousness. If you say consciousness is physical, I understand you are saying it in the modern scientific paradigm. In that case, consciousness, what you mean by the question is, is consciousness an epiphenomenon generated by brain activity? In, um, you know, the activity of the neurons in the brain, somehow generating this thing called consciousness, it's called an epiphenomenon, like a byproduct. That's why, if you, that's what you mean by, by physical, no. According to Vedanta, it's the other way around. Whatever we consider physical is also actually consciousness. But here a little semantic problem may be involved. When Vedanta talks about consciousness, the exact word it uses is chit or chaitanya, pure consciousness, which is not what neuroscientists mean by consciousness. What neuroscientists mean by consciousness is more closer to the vritti jnana we were talking about, the activity which is taking place right here now. Even that is not precisely true. The vritti jnana is in the mind. That also neuroscience does not recognize. It's interesting. The silliness that the materialist reductive approach gets us into when it comes to us. The materialist reductive approach would be most happy if you were a brain without a mind and consciousness. It would solve all their problems. They are, they are very unhappy with the fact that you have consciousness. They are... They are troubled by it, let alone consciousness, even the fact that you are a mind, that you are a person, this is terrible for them. If you are con unconscious, mindless zombies, science fits you perfectly. They'll, they'll just relax. The rest of it is easy. It's called the easy problem of consciousness. But a subjective experience. Let me answer the question even more directly. The question was, is consciousness physical? Let me ask you, is, is mind physical? Is joy physical? Even more, let's make it even more easy for you. Is pain physical? Say pain is physical, but what aspect of pain is physical? There is a physical aspect of pain where Neurons are firing and, um, uh, you know, processes are taking place in the body. Biochemical processes are taking place. Is that what you experience as pain? The firing of neurons and the release of uh, endorphins and things like that, pain and relief from pain. Do you experience it as endorphins and electrical sparks between the neurons? No. You experience it as agony. That agony is subjective. There's a proof that it is subjective. The doctor has access to everything physical about you. But when they try to measure pain, they will, what will they ask you on a scale of 1 to 5, how much does it hurt? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much does it hurt? If it was physical, they wouldn't have to ask you, they can see it. Even more clearly, when I went for my glasses, uh, to see more clearly. You know what they asked me? 
they have very sophisticated instruments. When I, I haven't visited an ophthalmologist for uh, all my life, and as a kid I visited, and at that time they only had a chart, read off these letters, A, B, C, D, and things like that, all jumbled up and smaller and smaller and smaller till you can't read it. That's still there, but now they have an array of extremely sophisticated equipment, very sophisticated, really good. After fitting you with all of that, you know what the ophthalmologist kept on asking? Does this, is this better? Is this better? Now is this better? Why are you asking me? Because ultimately, whether it's better or not, whether it works or not, is something that the subject will say. It's nothing that all your uh, instruments can reveal. Uh, so is, now if you go back to consciousness itself, is it physical? No. Vedanta reverse it is. The physical is consciousness. The object is not separate from consciousness. Okay. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanam Astur